Well, friends, uh, it is uh, great to be with you this morning. And uh, when uh, Pastor Andy asked uh, if I would be able to, to fill in for him and, and shared uh, that uh, you're wor- working through uh, the book of Romans, I uh, was thankful uh, because uh, I love uh, this book and I love uh, the way that, that Paul presents uh, the gospel to us. Uh, and we're going to see that uh, here in, in Romans chapter 7. Uh, but before uh, I get into, uh, into uh, the actual uh, text of Romans here this morning, uh, I just want to share uh, just sort of not so much a story but, but something of an anecdote uh, from my life. Uh, you see, when I was, uh, I grew up um, in a, a small town about uh, 30 miles west of, of Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, and uh, growing up, it would take, uh, on, a, on a good day, like favorable traffic, uh, it would take about 45 minutes to get into Minneapolis proper. Um, so if we were going there uh, to see uh, the Twins, to see the Vikings, to see the Timberwolves, uh, going there for, for things taking place in the city, uh, we usually had to budget uh, a pretty consistent hour uh, to get from where I lived uh, into Minneapolis. And a big reason for that was uh, there was one route from where I lived into to Minneapolis. There, there was one way to get there. Uh, it was Minnesota State Highway 5. Now, one of the frustrating things about going into Minneapolis via State Highway 5 uh, is this highway, uh, it, was, it was fairly direct, uh, but it went through a number of, of towns, um, and not just sort of like in the area of towns, like right through the heart of their downtown. Uh, and so with that, there, there were a number of stoplights, uh, and it's only one way, uh, tra- you know, there's only one lane of traffic going there, and so if you get stuck behind someone going slow, that means you're going the speed they're going. Uh, and so it could vary uh, a great deal uh, in terms of how long it would take us to, to get from, from our house uh, into the cities. Uh, but when I was in high school, uh, about the age of 17, something amazing happened. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, There was a a U.S. highway, Highway 212, uh, opened up uh, from uh, where it sort of ended and became just kind of a country road near where I lived. Uh, It connected uh, basically Minneapolis uh, almost directly to my house. It was incredible. Uh, And I kid you not, this would cut off at least 10 minutes, maybe even more, uh, from our drive into, into the cities. Uh, it bypassed all of the towns, it bypassed all the stoplights, uh, it was a faster speed limit, and so instead of going 55 at best, I'm going 65 basically from my front door all the way to my destination at any time I would need to go to Minneapolis. It was amazing. It was amazing. And, and so, like, this was so radically different uh, that there was maybe one, I can count on my hands, like, one hand, the number of times I've taken the old way as opposed to the new way, because the new way is just so much better. It's, it's drastically better. It's so much faster. That there's this way easier, more direct route to get there, and I share that uh, because as we take a look at Romans chapter 7, uh, we hear Paul talking about an old way and a new way, uh, and so we want to take a look. What does Paul mean by this old way and this new way? And when Paul talks about this new and better way that has opened up to us, he's talking about ultimately the path of the gospel, this new and better way that has opened for us in Jesus. And what we find here in Romans chapter 7 is that the new way is not just new, it's not just better. 
it's actually revealed that it's the only way. And in fact, the old way was impossible. And so as we get into Romans chapter 7, uh, these three simple points that, that you see on, on, your, on the screen here, uh, that'll be our, our outline uh, here this morning. So we're going to talk about death to the old way. We're going to talk about life in the new way. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the purpose of the old way. All right, death to the old way, life in the new way, and the purpose of the old way. All right, let's get into it together, friends. Romans chapter 7. Uh, we're going to begin uh, right uh, where chapter 7 begins with verse 1. Paul writes this. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Uh, so Paul here, he begins, uh, and he's saying, hey, I'm writing to people uh, who know the law, right, who understand the way uh, that God's commandments, the, the law of Scripture, who understands how that works. Uh, and then he immediately shifts, and, and he, sa- he starts talking about marriage. Right? Now, why, why does Paul begin talking about marriage here? Well, the reason he's talking about marriage is he's not actually trying to give this sort of core teaching about what marriage is uh, or what makes marriage work or something like that. He's drawing on the analogy of marriage to talk about the role of the law in the life of God's people, right? He's drawing this comparison here, right? And just as we know from wedding vows, right, that marriage is until death do us part, right? It's until death do us part. And that's precisely what Paul's saying here. He's saying, hey, marriage, that law, that binding contract and covenant of marriage is good until death. But then once someone dies, once either husband or wife dies, someone is released from that bond of of marriage. That's where it ends. And Paul is saying the same thing is true about our relationship to the law of Scripture is that law that is binding only as long as we are alive. And so for us to be free from the burden of the law, free from trying to earn God's favor through following and keeping all of the commandments, in order for us to be free from that, what needs to happen is we need to die. We need to die. That until we die, we are bound to, we are held under the burden of that law. That burden of trying to please God again and again and again. Until we die. And Paul's whole point here, as he says in verse 4, right, is that this death is precisely what has happened, right? Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ, right? That this is what has taken place. That when we came to faith in Jesus, we died. 
We died, and that means death to the law. That means that burden of the law is no longer heaped upon us, that we are now set free from this. This is why a chapter earlier, Paul says this in in Romans 6, verse 4. He says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 7 is the implication of what has taken place in the gift of baptism, in the gift of faith. We have been joined to Jesus. We have been buried with him. We have been raised again with him. And that means that we have died to that burden of the law. That means that no longer do we have to try to get back to God through the things that we do because now a new way has opened up. And that new way opening up means that the old way is done, it's dead, it's over. You see, death to the law, it means this freedom from the old way, which is ultimately freedom from living under the weight of obligation. The weight of obligation. Now when I say obligation, I want to say, like, see this, like, very, very specifically, right? Because every single one of us, right, we have certain obligations, right? Day, day in, day out, right? Certain things, right? You have to go to work to keep a job, right? That, that's sort of an obligation, right? As a parent, right? I need to feed and clothe my kids. That's an obligation. But there's a difference between doing something that is an obligation and doing something only because it's an obligation. Are you with me? Right? We've all experienced this. What does it feel like to do something only because we have to? It's exhausting, isn't it? It's it's, it's tiring, right? And what ends up happening over time is we end up resenting that obligation and we end up probably even resenting the person who makes us fulfill that obligation. Like if you're doing something at work that you don't actually believe in, that you don't understand, that you don't see, like how does this have anything to do with the mission of, of our organization or company? How does this move us forward? I don't know, but my boss demands that I do it, and so I'm gonna do it because I wanna keep my job and I wanna keep getting paid, right? Like that's not fun to do, is it? We end up resenting the obligation and we end up resenting the boss who gave us the obligation. And you see, this is what can very easily happen when our life, when our relationship with God is solely one of obligation. Solely one where it says, you do this, you get that. You fulfill this and then I'll bless you, right? This is exhausting. And with that obligation also probably comes a great deal of fear, doesn't there? Because what happens if we can't fulfill the demand? What happens if we don't meet the obligations that we're required to fulfill? What happens if I'm I'm not good enough? You see, when you come to faith in Jesus, when you have been joined to him, to his death and resurrection, that means death to this way of doing things. You see, Jesus fulfilled that demand so that you don't have to. Jesus has already fulfilled everything that is required for you to live in a right relationship with God again. Martin Luther explains these words from from Paul in Romans 7 like this. He says, the law is fulfilled not by our own powers, but only through Christ who pours out the Holy Spirit in our hearts. 
We don't fulfill the law. We don't fulfill the obligation. Friends, the obligation has been fulfilled for us. And when that happened, that means death to that old way and the invitation to now come and live life in the new way. Here's what Paul says next, Romans 7, verse 5. He says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see, Paul highlights here that, that life in the old way, this, this former way of doing things, life lived under the burden of the law and the obligation that comes with it. He says that ultimately meant being enslaved by our desires. It, it meant that, that every single time, right, we're told not to do something, what immediately happens? We want to do it, right? That meant sla- enslavement, But now that we have been released from the old way, he says that we're invited to come and live in this new way of the Spirit. Now, a question worth asking is, is what's actually the difference between the new way of the Spirit and and that old way of the written code that he talks about? Right? Are we sort of just free to to live as we please and, and do whatever we want? No, that's, that's not what Paul's after here. Rather, what I would suggest for you is that the new way of the Spirit means that we get to live with sort of a different posture, a different perspective toward all of life. If the old way was the way of obligation to the law, I would suggest for you that the new way of the Spirit is ultimately this way of thanksgiving and of love. I think of the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 107. He says this, he says, some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He went out, he sent out his word, and he healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Doesn't the psalmist here almost perfectly describe our situation? What happened to us because of our sin? We're fools. We're fools in our sinful ways, and we suffer because of our rebellion against God, because of all of our desire, right? We suffer because of the things that we long for and want after want after want, and every desire that we chase after, right? We end up suffering a great deal for it, right? We find ourselves trapped under this great burden, but what has happened is God has seen our situation, and he's acted, He's acted in Jesus. He, as the psalmist says, he sent forth his word. But you notice that the word that he sent forth wasn't just a word that was spoken. It's the very word made flesh whose name is Jesus, who came into our world, who became human like us in every way, who went to the cross and died our death. And through that cross, friends, he has healed us of our sin. He has freed us from that burden. He has rescued us out of our foolishness. And so what do we do? What do we do in response to God's action toward us? We do exactly what the psalmist says. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works 
to the children of man. We offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. We tell of his deeds in songs of joy. What do we do when we have been set free from this old way of the law of sin and of death? We live life in thanksgiving. And we don't just offer our stuff. We don't just offer our words. You'll see later in Romans chapter 12, Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In response to what God has done for us in Jesus, what do we do? We offer our lives to him. We offer everything we have in thanksgiving to the God who has acted to save us. You see, friends, the freedom of the gospel is not the freedom to just do whatever we want, to live however we please. That would actually just be returning to the old way, being enslaved by our sinful desires and passions. No, the freedom of the gospel, life in the Spirit, is that now every single moment, every single breath, every single thing that we have, every single piece of our lives, everything that God has given can now be returned to Him in thanksgiving, praising him for what he's done, using every single monotonous, mundane situation in life as an opportunity to praise the God who saved us. Or as Paul says in Colossians chapter three, he says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. What is life in the Spirit, life in the new way? It's a life of thanksgiving. It's a life where everything that we receive is turned back to God to thank Him for what He's done. And friends, this is what God has always intended for us. Paul says this next in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. He says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means, but yet if I had not If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. What's Paul saying here? Uh, What I would suggest that that Paul's getting at here uh, is that this old way, the old way of of life under the law, this old life of of obligation, wasn't just that it was this sort of constant demand on us. Actually, what Paul highlights here is that this old way was impossible, and it was impossible not because of anything that was wrong with the law and commandments of God. What God has given is perfect. No, the problem was that life under the law, when we are enslaved to sin, that it was impossible for us to ever be just and right in the sight of God through this law. Because here's what sin in us does as soon as it hears the command. It treats treats the command of God like the proverbial red button, right? You familiar, The, the red button, right? With the big, big sign that says, do not push. You see that red button, you see that sign that says do not push, what immediately happens? 
I wonder what happens if I push that, right? must be pretty cool, right? It must be really important, right? It must be a big deal. I really want to push that button. This is the way that sin responds to the law. As soon as God says, thou shalt not, what do we want to do? I, I kind of want to try that, right? This is sin's default response to the commandment of God, right? And Andy will talk a little bit more about that in the latter part of, of Romans chapter 7 next week, right? But this is the way that sin works in us. It hears that commandment. It receives the law, and it immediately says, oh, no, 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 no. You said no. I say yes. You say do this. I want to do that, You see, this is the situation, and because of this, the law can't overcome sin. What the law can only actually do in us is it can actually reveal our situation. It brings about death. It shows us for who we really are. Here's what Paul says next, verse 10. He says, the commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? No, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Notice what Paul says here, right? The law, that law that promises life. Right, scripture says, do this and live. That law that promised life, what it can only do because of our situation in sin, because we simply can't do the do this, it means death for us. It means death. And, and what it ultimately is setting out to do, what Paul is arguing here, is that God gave that law to show sin for what it actually is, to make it, as he says here in, in verse 13, sinful beyond measure, sinful beyond measure, to make it very clear to the entire world what our circumstance actually is, to to what we are really like as sinners. Uh, The theologian Gerhard Ferdi, he compares this reality uh, to that of addiction, right? And here's what he says. He says, perhaps we can glimpse the truth behind this paradox by recalling the analogy of addiction. The law, thou shalt quit, is for the alcoholic quite right and true. It is a most salutary doctrine of life. However, it does not realize its aim, but only makes matters worse. It deceives the alcoholic by arousing pride and so becomes a defense mechanism against the truth, the actuality of addiction. That is not what the law is for. Law is not intended to isolate from God in independence and pride, but to expose the need for God and his grace. What he's saying here is so long as we view the law as a legitimate way for us to earn our righteousness before God, it's only ever going to just fulfill some kind of delusion. He says that's not what the law was given for. The law was given to show us as we really are are so that we would be very, very clear how badly we need grace. You see, friends, what we need is not a law that says that we can do enough to earn God's favor. We can do enough and make ourselves right in his sight. What we ultimately need is we need the law to reveal what is really in us so that we can have the humility to recognize that we can't 
fulfill God's law, that we can't earn his favor. And be very clear that the, the goal of this is not that we would just sort of despair of ourselves and walk around miserable all the time. I know that we Lutherans, we have a tendency to do that a little bit. But that's not the goal of the law. The goal of the law, the goal of this kind of humility and recognition of our sin and brokenness is intended to cause us to run to, to flee to, to seek after the grace of God that he has poured out for us in Jesus. Tim Keller said it like this. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. See, friends, this is what God, God's word reveals of, to us. Is that God in his word, God through the law, he reveals just how desperate our situation actually is. Just how incapable we are of actually fulfilling his commands and, and earning our way back toward him. And he reveals that, not that we would hate of ourselves, not that we would be sitting forever in the muck and mire of despair and our sin, but that we would run to and flee to his grace and find there just how much he loves us. That God loves us so much that he did not count the life of his own son too great a cost to bring us back to him. And friends, life under this truth, that's the kind of life you are now invited to walk in. This is the new way. This is the new path. This is life in the spirit. It is the invitation to come and now walk in the grace and love of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and for the world. So friends, go and walk in the freedom of this grace and use this freedom not as a cover-up for evil, not as a cover-up for following after every desire. Friends, use it to love, use it to serve, use it to do everything to the glory of God the Father through Jesus Christ. Friends, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much that you have revealed the truth about ourselves that the burden of the law was too much for us to carry. God, we give you thank that, thanks that that is not all you have revealed of, that you have also revealed your love for us in your son, Jesus Christ. You have revealed your will for us in Jesus Christ. You have revealed the new way that we can know that the obligation, the burden of the law has already been fulfilled for us. And now we get to walk in freedom. Now we get to walk in thanksgiving and love toward you and toward all people. And so, Father, let your spirit rest on us. Renew us, draw us back to the love that you've shown us in Jesus, that we would go and walk in freedom. And in that freedom, turn everything back to you in thanksgiving for all that you have done. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.